And we are in the book of Ephesians today. So if you have your Bible or you brought your journal, anybody bring your journal? Can you hold it up? Oh, this is amazing. These are physical Bibles that people are bringing to church on Sunday. It's so retro. Um, <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm like, I, I really want to bring this back. I want to bring back the physical Bible because it's just, you know, everybody has everything on their phone. But what if we sort of said, no, I don't want to be distracted by anything. I just want to be able to look at God's word and take it for what it is. So uh, thanks for bringing that today. Uh, if you don't have one yet, there's one, there'll be one off at the welcome table outside after the service. You can grab one there. I don't know if you've ever walked into a room in the middle of uh, your family watching a show, um, but I have done that. I do that. And at times, honestly, I got to admit, as a, as a dad, husband, I use this as an opportunity to um, mess with my family, aggravate them a bit. So I'll walk in and, you know, I'll stare at the screen for a minute and I'll go, who's that? Why is he doing that? Does he, is he in love with her? Does she know it? Why are they standing in that place? Why, you know, what are they talking about? And I keep asking these questions because it's fun to aggravate my family. Um, but, but the point is, sometimes I'm actually curious, right? And I don't know if you've ever done this and you like started getting caught up and you're like, what's happening? I don't know what's happening. It's interesting, but I don't, I don't know the backstory at all. And uh, in this case, if you're just joining us in the book of Ephesians, we are in the third week now of this series and you're like, okay, what's, what's the catch up? And I want to get everybody up to speed. Uh, Paul wrote um, the letter to the Ephesian church which uh, he planted 10 years earlier. Ephesus is a real city. You can go visit it today. Uh, It's not occupied today. It's largely um, become abandoned, but there are ruins from the first century. It was a major Roman port city of 250,000 people. It was diverse. It was wealthy. It was very culturally rich, and it had one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, which was the temple to the uh, goddess Artemis or Diana. And so uh, if you want to read the backstory, Paul in Acts 19, it tells the story about all the amazing things that Paul did or God did through Paul in the starting of the Ephesian church. And it's, it's pretty crazy what happens. Uh, and, and if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've, we've really been focusing on chapter one, verses three through 14, which is one sentence in the original uh, language. It may be the greatest sentence in the entire Bible. It was uh, inspired by God, but inked by man. So God doesn't have bad grammar. It's not like he can't, he doesn't know how to, where to put punctuation, but he inspired Paul and Paul just blurted out from verse three to verse 14, 202 words, uh, full of what may be, like I said, the greatest sentence in God's word theologically. In verse three, um, well, when you read through, you read through it, it may seem a little chaotic. It may seem like, okay, man, he's just pulling all these crazy threads from all over the place. And, and, and it can feel like that, but he's actually organized this, uh, built this verse, this section out, this sentence with a topic sentence. You remember those from writing uh, essays in school? You write your topic sentence and then you explain it and fill it out. Well, his topic sentence is verse three. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, like I said, from there on, it can seem like he's, just randomly filling in all these blessings. But if you follow this, it's most, most scholars and theologians recognize, and you can see it if you look, is that it's organized in a Trinitarian uh, format. So it begins with God the Father. Uh, God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world, verses three through seven, redeemed us. Uh, the Son redeems us in verses eight through 10. And today, the focus is on the Holy Spirit. 
on what the Holy Spirit does. And so all of these blessings come to us through a Trinitarian God who who speaks to us, relates to us as a father, as the son, and as the Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago, we looked at the blessings of adoption. Last week, the blessings of redemption. And today, we're looking at the blessing or the gift of an eternal inheritance. So I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. And I I want to encourage you to follow along. And then when I finish, I want you to, uh, I'll I'll say, uh, this is the word of the Lord. And I encourage you to respond with me by saying, thanks be to God. Verse 11. In him, that is Christ, we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, One of the controlling themes through these uh, first few verses is the phrase in Christ, in Christ, over again, in him, in Christ, 11 times in verses 3 through 14, 36 times in Paul's letters. You could argue that the phrase, the, the, the theological idea in Christ is the most significant theological idea in the New Testament. It shows up all over the place. Uh, and Paul has, has brought it to bear in this passage. And so what he's letting us know first and right off the bat is in Christ, we've obtained an inheritance. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, the interesting thing about this translation of verse 11 is it could be that, that in, as I just said, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. But, but uh, Greek scholars, New Testament scholars look at this and the way that the, the construction is in the original language, it could also equally mean we are God's inheritance. In Christ, we are God's inheritance. Now that's a little different, right? That like that you and I are, are God's inheritance. He's, he's longing for us. He is waiting for us. We are his possession and his prize. Now, unless you think, well, that sounds like really us-centered, but the fact is that it's all over the Old Testament. This theme that God God is redeeming a people for himself, right? He went and rescued his people out of Egypt for himself, that they might be his people and he might be their God. So it's a beautiful theme there. Um, We're going to see it show up through the rest of the book of of Ephesians, so we're not going to talk about it today. But I could do a whole sermon just on that idea and encouraging us that you and I, we are God's possession in Christ. But we're going to look at the more common meaning or simple meaning of this text. That is that we have obtained an inheritance. Now, what is this inheritance? It is a complete and total restoration of everything you were created for but are not experiencing. It's a complete and total restoration of everything that you were created for. Why human beings exist but are not experiencing today. We start it now, but the fullness will come and, and, and the inheritance will be fully received when Christ returns uh, and, and the book of Revelation tells this story. Now, how do we think about this inheritance? We might go to the word heaven, right? Heaven, heaven gets thrown around a lot. But when we talk about heaven, I don't know about you, but sometimes it conjures up images of, of being an angel, uh, you know, floating around in an ethereal form, uh, sitting on clouds, playing harps, singing in an eternal worship service. 
right? Anybody else sort of have those like cultural baggage of what heaven is like? So I don't know that that term is the, the best term. It is accurate, <clears throat> but, but I think it's a better understanding for us to, to think of it as the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, or what is also referred to in the book of Matthew and others as the kingdom of heaven, the fullness of this kingdom. And the interesting thing about this kingdom is that when you get the kingdom, you get the king. When you get the kingdom, when you, you get the king, or when you get the king, you get the kingdom. So, so the kingdom of God is really interesting when you look at the book of Revelation and all the imagery throughout the scripture of, the, of, of that new heavens, that new kingdom that we are waiting for. And it's, it's God present with his people. He's not, he's not a far off distant king. He's not hiding out in a throne room somewhere. He's not uh, traveling through the streets in a bulletproof car. He is literally dwelling and walking with his people face to face forever. Now, imagine being in a place that is more peaceful, more loving, more full of life, more full of joy, more full of contentment than you have ever experienced in your entire life and you're with the one who provides all of that, and you have it forever. That's the inheritance that we're promised, that fullness that will never end. And that kind of inheritance changes everything. If you and I believed that we have that inheritance today, as this text promises us, it's not not saying you will have that inheritance. Look at verse 11 again. In him we have what? obtained. What tense is that? Past tense. It has already happened. We have obtained it. Now we have not fully appropriated it or fully experienced it, but we have obtained it. It's ours. And it changes everything if we understand that. Back in uh, 2008, there was an article. It's based on a, a true story. Some of you may remember hearing about it, but there was a, um, uh, a college student named Sergei Sudev who was in, um, from Moldova in, uh, in Eastern Europe. One day, he answered the door. There was a knock at his door. He opened the door, and there was a man standing there in a very nice suit and a briefcase. And he looked at the man, and, and the man said, hey, I'm, I'm here. I need to talk to you. We have some weighty matters. Can, I talk? Can we sit down? And he invites him in. They sit down. The man explains that he has some bad news. Uh, and he explains to Sergei that his... Uh, his uncle had died. His great uncle had died. Now, Sergei barely remembered this guy. He'd only met him one time in his life, 10 years earlier, when Sergei was 11 years old. He had gone to a, he'd been invited and gone to a family reunion in Germany where the man lived and had, had been there at that family reunion. All he remembers is this vague presence and, and, and meeting his uncle. But evidently, uh, his uncle was very impressed with him. And it turned out the uncle had no heirs. The attorney was explaining to Sergey, your, your great uncle, he had no one, and he, he was very impressed with you when he met you. And so he has left his entire fortune to you. His inheritance was 950 million euros, or roughly $1.8 billion. The first thing Sergey said was, supposedly, is this a joke? <laughs> 
because that's exactly what we would all think, right? Surely, uh, this, is, this is funny. I'm getting punked. Like, I don't know if they have a, a, a Moldovian Ashton Kutcher that's going to jump out, but like they, you know, you're thinking this is some practical joke somebody's playing on me. Uh, but it wasn't. And he had to, like, you know, he had to travel to Germany and, and, and receive this inheritance, and he did. And that inheritance utterly changed his life. A poor college student in one day became a billionaire. Think about how that affects him. When, when a person becomes a Christian, when they put their faith in Christ, it says we have obtained an inheritance, a God-given inheritance through the death and resurrection of Christ. It's ours. It's not, it's not a future thing that someday we will receive. It is, it is fully ours, fully a reality for us in that it belongs to us as much today as it will a million years from now. That inheritance is ours. Past tense, obtained. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You could never pay for it, but it's yours in Christ. And I love the parallel passage in 1 Peter. Um, Peter, one of Jesus', Jesus best friends in this world, wrote in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. It's a very similar language. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So what he's saying, Peter's saying is, is we have this inheritance in heaven that, that cannot be taken away. You know, one of the things that, that uh, Sergey will figure out real quickly is that there's these things called taxes, right? And, and it will be taken away. <laughs> Some of his money will be taken away. And, 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 he will, and he won't actually receive that full amount in all likelihood, right? Or didn't. But for us, our inheritance is God in God's kingdom. And so our, the fullness is available to us. It's an imperishable, uh, imperishable inheritance. Listen, no matter what your parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, great lost uncles, whatever, might leave you in this world, you have a greater inheritance that will never fade, is un, uh, undefiled and unfading. So in Christ, we have obtained this inheritance. Paul fills this out in three ways through here and helps us to frame out how we got it. Um, this is an inheritance we have been predestined for that we believed in and we are guaranteed of. So we have been predestined for this inheritance. Um, verse 11 and 12, in him we have obtained an inheritance, listen, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, this is, inheritance is one that is predestined. Verse 4, Paul uses the same language, uh, a predestined. He has predestined us to adoption as sons and, and daughters before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, God predestined us uh, to himself. Now, I realize that when you throw out a word like this, predestined, right, or when we read it in Scripture, like all kinds of thoughts come to mind, right? We, come to, we have questions about this, that, or the other. How does this relate to this, that, or the other? You have to understand, like, until you understand what Paul was trying to do here, you're, 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 you know, you're trying to skip over it and debate something else. Paul didn't write this to go, ooh, I'm going to really just pull a little grenade and just throw it in the middle of the room and go, ooh, everybody's going to freak out over predestination now. 
No, he's, he's, he's drawing us into something, to a greater reality. The point is that before you and I were born, God had a plan and a purpose to redeem us. Now, how are we to think about this? Well, I think one of the simple things we need to understand in terms of understanding predestination is that it is not in a way, in a human way of thinking. So we are, create, we are creatures living in a created world that has a time-space continuum, right? Like we think of time linearly, right? It, it, uh, it, it's a straight line, past, present, and future. What I want you to do to help you to begin to understand how God thinks about time, I want you to look at the back of the chair in front of you. Just take a second, look at the back of the chair in front of you. Now, I want you to put your hand on one, uh, one side. Don't scare the person in front of you. Just put on, on one edge and put your other hand on the other. Now, is there anywhere on the back of that chair you are more present than others? Or are you fully present across the back of the chair? Do you see the whole back of the chair? Are you able to conceive of it all equally at any given moment? Yes. That's what it's like for God. You see, God is outside of time. He does not think of past, present, and future. He speaks to us in that term to help us because it blows our mind to think of God not existing in time. So he, he helps us to, to, to understand things. So when he says, I have predestined you before the foundation of the world, God is as equally present in that moment as he is right now, as he will be 100 years from now or 10,000 million years from now. He's equally present at the same time in all of those moments. He sees it laid out like the back of the chair in front of you. So when he tells you he predestined you before the foundation of the world to be adopted into his family and to receive this inheritance, you need to remember that God, what Paul's trying to tell us is that God saw everything about you. God saw everything about you. He sees and knows you fully and has chosen to love you and give you an inheritance that I just said a moment ago, you don't deserve, you can never earn, and you can never pay back. So he's chosen to do that. Now, thought exercise for us. What are the reasons, think of your life, what are the reasons God should not have predestined you? Like, go back, you know, we all have that, all have that, you know, uh, memory, uh, we, I used to use like a tape language VHS You had because you had to rewind it. You know, we rewind the tape, um, but rewind your life. What, what, are those, what is the most shameful thing you've done in your life? What is the most broken moment of your life or pattern of your life? What are the, what are the things even now that continue in your life that you see and you know and you feel conviction over? What are those things? that you would say, man, like, why would God love me? The truth is, God saw that before you committed it. He sees it today, and he sees the junk you're going to do tomorrow, and next week, and next year. And he still chose to predestine you. Why? Because it has nothing to do with you. It is his will to love you. It is his will to delight in you, to bring you into his family, and to give you this inheritance. Paul is helping you to feel the weight of God's love. When you, and how does that impact you when you don't feel lovely? 
How does that impact you when you struggle, when you feel weak, when you, when you feel like no one in your life approves of you? No one supports you? What happens when you feel like an utter failure in this world, but you know that you have been predestined by God because he loves you? Not because of what you've done, but despite it. You know, no child ever earns their inheritance, right? How awkward would that be? Hey, mom, dad, I know you're going to die in like 10 or 15 years, so I'm just going to wash your car every day, um, and I'm going to come by and empty the garbage, and, you know, like, could you imagine that? This is weird, right? But, that, but, but God gives an inheritance. A parent gives the inheritance because the child belongs to them and is their heir. So in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance that we were predestined for. Second, in Christ, we've obtained an inheritance that we have believed in. Verse 13, Paul says, In him, that is in Christ again, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Now, those of you who were freaked out about um, Paul a minute ago, predestining. Do you see the balance here? Do you see that the, the, these are opposite sides of the same coin? You were predestined and you believed. You were predestined, you also had faith. So there is a, this is Paul like pulling this tension in for us of, of understanding that, um, that, that there is God's purpose and there is our faith that go hand in hand. It's utterly unique among world religions. That faith is the key to experiencing fullness of life. If we, if we take verse 3 as the controlling idea of being blessed and living a blessed life, right? That everyone I know, everyone you know is looking for that blessed life. And you can look at it in world religions. And world religions offer rules and rituals, but Christianity offers faith. It doesn't say anything about what you need to do. It says what Jesus has done. Christianity is utterly unique because the means of our blessing has nothing to do with us and what we do and has everything to do with what God has done on our behalf. Islam, you have to follow the five pillars. In in Hinduism, there's a basic daily morality surrounding karma and dharma. Buddhism, you have to follow the eightfold path to, to, to attain to nirvana, right? And, and why do these appeal to us? Why do these appeal to people? Because there's something in you and I that feels like we ought to earn it. There's something in you and I that says we ought to have to contribute to this thing in order to be able to receive it. Why? Because that's life. No one goes into their, goes into their job without working a first day uh, and saying, you know, I'd like to be, I'd like a promotion. I haven't really done anything, but by faith, I believe that you will provide me a, a promotion. It'll be their first and last day at their job, right? Um, we believe if you work hard at your job, you get a promotion. If you, if you work hard in relationships, you, you have good relationships. If you uh, work hard at school and study, you get a degree, you graduate, all of that. And, and, and everything in life leads us to think that God wants us to try harder. That that's what the message of Christianity is. And unfortunately, there's many people in this culture, in this world, that believe that. But they couldn't be further from the truth. 
When it comes down to it, we all feel a little bit like Rocky. If you've ever watched Rocky, the, the, the first Rocky, all the rest of them are ridiculous, but um, all sort of, not all. But uh, back in Rocky One, it's really interesting if you ever read the story about um, Sylvester Stallone like, wrote this after uh, Muhammad Ali fought a guy. Uh, who went 12 rounds with him. And, and uh, he was just inspired, wrote it. They recorded the whole thing. They, they did the entire movie in like a month. Um, it cost less than a million dollars to make. It's crazy. Um, and, and he was influential in a lot of it. And one of the lines that the, the producers wanted to cut, but he kept in there was, was the night before uh, fighting Apollo Creed, who was the champion. Uh, they, they were asking his, his uh, love of his life, why have you got to do this? Why have you got to fight him? And he said this, if I can go to the, the distance when the bell rings and I'm standing, then I'll know for the first time in my life that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. We all long for that, right? We all long to prove our identity. But the gospel brings a completely different approach. Based on faith, all of our blessings are experienced by God's grace, not by our earnings. When we, Paul says, believed in, in this gospel, the good news of the gospel, all the spiritual blessings of verse 3 became ours in Christ. In Christ. You see, the weight of Christianity is not about what you did with Christ, but what he did with you. The reason pre- Paul emphasizes predestination is because it's not ultimately about what you did with Christ, but what God has done with you in Christ. That's why this term in Christ is so prevalent throughout the New Testament, such a weighty reality. And unfortunately, again, it's not really been taught a lot in Christianity. I was, when I became a Christian in college, I was, a lot of emphasis was placed on Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, Christianity being a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, that's true, absolutely true, but it was, it began to spill over into the way I was leading that that was really it. It was about me and Jesus. It was about getting Jesus in on, on, my, on my job. It was about getting Jesus in on uh, my relationships and, and my life purpose and what I was doing. And I, and I, I have to admit, I actually did, when I was a youth pastor for, for several years, I actually did uh, these weekends. I called them jam, Jesus and me. And I had a t-shirt. I had t-shirts made. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It, it's not untrue. It's not untrue that it's about a re- personal relationship with Jesus. That's not untrue. But it's like saying Tom Brady is, plays football. Or Monet paints. Like it's, it's, it's just not the fullness. There's so much more. We, it's a bare minimum truth. That, that there is a relationship there, but, but far more when I began to discover the fullness of what Christ wanted me to get on, in on in him versus me getting him in on my stuff. And that's when I began to experience some of the fullness of this Christian life. It changes the way you think when you, be, when you begin to believe that your life is in Christ. It's, it's, I mean, listen to the language. It's about location, isn't it? It, it, isn't a, it isn't Jesus in me. It's me in Jesus and Jesus in me. <laughs> and it's a beautiful reality. I wish we had time to, we'll see it through the rest of the book of, of um, Ephesians. But the truth is that what we need to see 
is that, that God is, has been predestining and orchestrating circumstances for all of his children to come to the point of belief, to come to that point of faith. Listen, I, I got saved. I became a Christian through my roommate in college. I did not pick him. I probably would not have picked him if I had known who he was. Because I was not walking with the Lord at the time, and I certainly didn't want a guy who was going into ministry to be my roommate. But God had orchestrated that. In many of your cases, maybe you were a child. You were or- God orchestrated for you to come to faith by, by putting you in a family that believes, and you were taught the gospel from a young age. Others of you, it was through uh, an investigation of Christianity. You just had questions. You began to be curious, and these questions began to lead to answers, and you began to, to find faith developing in you. For others of you, it was a, it was a friend. Someone who invited you. And could it be that today, even today in this room, there are some who God has orchestrated for you to be here that you would believe. That you would believe this message of the gospel, of good news that God has for you. And for others of you, and for the others that are Christians, I would just remind you, God orchestrates where we are as well so that we can share that message with others. There's an inheritance to be had for anyone who will believe and people around us need to hear. And God has put us in circumstances that people might hear. I remember I shared an illustration earlier this summer uh, when we were doing the Apostles' Creed series. It just still stuck with me to this day that uh, in Oregon, uh, it was a few years ago, a woman, a homeless woman died uh, on the streets, living on the streets with an unclaimed almost $900,000 inheritance from her mother. $900,000 that her mother had left to her four years earlier. And nobody could find her. The message didn't reach her of the inheritance she could have. And I think about the people God puts us around to share the hope of this inheritance with. So we've been having an inheritance we've been predestined for and we have believed in. And finally here, we've been guaranteed of this inheritance. Look at verse 13 uh, and 14. We yeah, have believed in him, that is in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He is of the same essence with the Father and the Son, but is distinct in his personality. Jesus said he had to actually leave this world so the Spirit could come in his fullness. Why? Because as long as Jesus was walking around in this world, he was uh, limited by the people he could talk to. But now it wasn't Jesus being physically with people. It is the Holy Spirit manifesting Jesus in people. It's no longer limited by geography. It's no longer limited by how many people Jesus could physically talk to or be around. The Spirit is God's presence and power with his people. The same Spirit that is in the church today, that is in Christians in this room right now, is the same Spirit that is in believers in Afghanistan right now and what they're facing. The same Spirit sustains them, sustains us. The same Christ that is manifested through the Spirit to them is the same Christ manifested to his people here. I love Romans 8, 15. He reminds, Paul reminds us here, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
So the spirit that seals us brings this intimacy with God that we cry out to him as a child, crying out independence on our father. The word sealed here is used of an indelible mark in the ancient world. It was often used of a wax uh, signet ring, right? When a, when a king or a wealthy uh, landowner or whatever would, would send an official correspondence, he would, he would take or, or anything that needed his uh, absolute authority behind it, he would dip his uh, ring in, in hot wax and then stamp it, right? And, and whatever, wherever that went, it carried the full weight and authority of the owner behind it, right? The, the one who stamped it. And in this case, the Holy Spirit is our ultimate guarantor of deposit on this inheritance. So God has stamped his people. He has stamped you and he has stamped me with this mark of the Holy Spirit as a deposit or a down payment. You know, when you buy a home uh, before you get to take possession of it, when, you, when you've decided you're going to buy it, what do you do? You make a down payment in earnest. That, that, that you, this is the home you're going to buy and you have, you have put this money down not so you can just grab it back because you can't. That money is a deposit. It's a down payment and, uh, and it's a guarantee that you will buy that home and it brings the weight of the person behind it, right? It brings the weight. Many of you have, heard, many of you have, have dealt with these things called cash offers when you're trying to buy a place. That, that brings a weight, doesn't it? They're like, I'm going to make the deposit right now. I got the down payment, but I'm, I'm making this based on a cash offer when we close. I'm just going to pay cash. That changes things. And God has those resources. And he's given us the spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit lives in us. God lives in us as the guarantee of the deposit of our inheritance that we will receive one day. It's meant to change the way we live. And the way that we live, when we don't live as if we have an inheritance in Christ, then we grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's in us to remind us and to point us and to draw us into that inheritance. This is supposed to affect the way that we live our lives today. If you think back to Sergey, if you put yourself sort of in a similar position, imagine you're living in poverty. You have no resources, right? You have very little resources. And, and one day you get this certified letter in the mail, certified from an attorney. It's been notarized and it says your uncle, uh, great uncle has, has died and has left you $1 billion and you need to make your way to the attorney's office. Right to, to, to get it. You, you go out and you get in your 1990 Honda Accord with 300,000 miles on it and you pull out on the road and you make it a little ways and the front wheel just falls right off. Right, right in the road, just dead in the middle of the road. And you get out and you're like, well, I, I don't even have my wallet on me. I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll walk. And so you're walking and, and then you realize you didn't eat breakfast that day. And, and then next thing you know, you step off a curve and you twist your ankle. So you, here you are walking, you're hungry, you're twisting your ankle. How would those things affect you? Would you be grumbling? Would you be mad? Would you be like it was a normal day? Or would you kind of pat that letter in your pocket? Well, you're kind of chuckling. Well, this, this is funny. This is really funny, right? Like, yeah, it's, it sucks. I'm hungry. It's, it's terrible that I, I, I don't have any, I can't get a ride. It's horrible that my car is in the middle of the road back there. But, 
But I got this. I got this letter that guarantees something so much better for me. We live in this in-between right now. We have an inheritance. We're beginning to experience. We have the deposit. We have the letter. But we haven't gotten to the office yet to fully receive it. We're on our way. We've gotten a taste of it. But this is one of the reasons why we, remain, we, we read God's word. Why we gather as a church. We read God's word to remind us of the inheritance, right? It's, it's pulling out the letter that says, this is what I've been promised. And and this is why we gather on Sunday to remind each other why you and I need to be here both because we need to be reminded of this inheritance. And this is why we have community groups because you need people who will remind you of your inheritance. Because I don't know about you, but I get off track pretty easily. I can have a bad day and I get all in my head and I get all in my circumstances and I forget. I've got the letter. I've got the inheritance. I have the spirit in me as a deposit. I've been predestined and I have believed in this. And we need to be in community groups to remind each other to do that. Why? Because we all need it. What would your life look like this week if you lived in light of this guaranteed inheritance? How would it change the way that you think about work? How would it change the way you think about your financial circumstances? I'm certainly not recommending you go, hey, my debt's not a big deal. I'm just going to go max out all my credit cards, right? That's not an invitation to be foolish because you've got a great inheritance one day. In fact, it's, it's a call to live in light of that inheritance. Let's, let's, let's back it up. You're, you're, on your, you're, walk, you're walking and you go to the attorney's office. They're like, okay, in one week, we'll have all the paperwork. You can sign it and, and get it. And, and you realize you've got about $10,000 in savings right there, right now. How would you think about that $10,000? In a week, you're a billionaire. How would you think about the $10,000? And you'd be like, well, I better hang on to it, right? <laughs> I'm, I might need it, right? Like, or would it lead you to generosity? Would you be quick to step in and help a friend? Would you be quick to buy everyone dinner, right? <laughs> like, like, would you be quick to just, just give away the resources you have? This is why we see in Scripture generosity among God's people. Because they have an inheritance that can't be taken away. And, you know, we, we celebrate communion each week as a reminder of this inheritance. It's, I love that Jesus said this. He said, do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. So we're looking back at what Christ did on the cross, his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us to provide this inheritance, right? The, the means of us experiencing it is what Christ has done. And now as we would take communion, we're reminded, I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. It's reminding ourselves of this reality. And, and, and if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you. We're going to take communion in a moment. Maybe you realize you have not been living in light of this inheritance. In fact, you've been living as if your inheritance is this world. And I would encourage you to take time to repent, confess to God how you've been putting your ultimate hope in earthly temporary realities. And then go take and, and, and literally as you take, 
I am in Christ. Just remember that. If you're not a Christian, we'd ask you to not take communion. It's one part of the service that this really for only for those who have believed, as this text tells us. But if God is speaking to you today, maybe he is. And, and I, I actually don't believe people spontaneously go to church. I, I, think that, I think that if you're in church today and you're not a Christian, it's because God is working in your life. And I think it's worth investigating. It's worth pressing into. It's worth asking questions and seeing if this inheritance is for you. And if this promise is for you. And so we want to help you in that journey today. And uh, you can mark on your connection card or you can stop by the table out there um, and and we'll help connect someone with you to help you in that journey. Um, We're going to take communion over this next song. So if you're a follower of Christ, you can um, anytime over this next song, slip out, maybe take a few moments, prepare yourself. Uh, Not everybody go at once. You'll have to go out these doors and then make your way out to the back because there's no food or drink in here. Um, And there'll be communion stations out there. You can take it and then drop the trash and then come back in through this door here. Um, It is easier. I know it's it's not convenient, but it is easier if everyone comes forward and goes that way because if you go to the back and people are coming in from the back, like chaos. And God is not a God of chaos. Right, it's what First Corinthians tells us. So, all things be done in an orderly way. Let's uh, let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing. We're going to sing this great gospel. God, we thank you for this inheritance that we could we could never earn, and we certainly could never pay back, and we'll never deserve. But it is because of your goodness, your mercy, the kind of God that you are that that before the world began, you saw bums like us. And you adopted us. You said, my love is going to be on that one. That one's mine. I thank you for that hope today. For anyone who will believe it is available. And so I pray today you would move in our midst, move across this room as we take communion. Remember the body and the blood of Christ broken and poured out for us. As we sing, may we sing with deep joy. May we sing with deep belief and conviction of who you are and what you've done for us, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.